you find yourself needing to learn more about D&D. What do you do? I cast Pod! Welcome to iCast Pod, a D&D podcast about creating characters, taking chances, rolling dice, and having fun. I'm Mike, your DM and guide to all things Dungeon-esque and Dragony. This episode is the end of the season finale, and we're talking about entertainers, sorcerers, jackalwares, and Volo. Heard any good rumours lately? Wizards of the Coast has been busy recently in light of the Black Lives Matter movement and general social change of our time, adding disclaimers to some of its older content, which may be seen as racially or culturally insensitive or gender-biased. D&D includes many races and has never penalised players who choose to play any gender, which was already admirable, but these steps will continue to ensure that anyone can play without feeling excluded or maligned. In other news, Ultra Pro showed off their ultra cute vinyl figures of adorably, uh, figurines of adorable power, even during the D&D Live 2020 livestream, including adorable mimics, flumps, owl bears, and more. I've already seen the red dragon figure for sale and have been tempted. 80s Tees now have a range of D&D based merch, both from the main game and from the 80s cartoon spin off and includes character armour hoodies that make you look like you're wearing the armour of Hank the Ranger, Bobby the Barbarian, or Eric the Cavalier, with more to come. Off to the races! None. We're skipping playable races in this episode, as we've actually covered all the races in the player's handbook. Now I know that there are many more playable races, but it seemed a good point to end this season and give me time to buy one of the other source books. Do you think I should go for Volo's Guide to Monsters, which contains Asimar, Goblins, Orcs, Kenku, Tabaxi, Yaunty and more, or perhaps Mordenkainen's Tome of Foes that contains Gith and, well, Eladrin? Let's be honest, in terms of continuing to make content, it's going to be Volo's. I will also be looking into the Elemental Evil Player's Guide, which adds Ganathi, Goliath and Arakokra, the latter of which was covered as a monster way back in Episode 3, as well as the Dungeon Master's Guide, the Tortle Package, which, perhaps unsurprisingly, adds options for playing as a Tortle, giving you the option of playing a young rogue, essentially a teenage mutant ninja Tortle. Sorry, couldn't resist. Tortle. 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 Word has lost all meaning. Okay, I swear I'm done with the total jokes now. Anyway, let me know which race has been your favourite that we've covered so far, which is your favourite D&D playable race overall, or which race you've not played yet and want to. Also, I'd love to hear your feedback on Season 1. So far I only have one rating on iTunes, so that's one way of letting me know what you think of the show. What have you liked so far? What would you change? Is there anything you'd like to see in Season 2? Let me know, as I can't make the show better without your input. You can email me at icastpod at gmail.com or get in touch via Instagram or Twitter where I'm at icastpod or post on our Facebook page. All links will be in the show notes. You so classy. 
Sorcerer. Sorcerers are rare in the world and carry a magical birthright with them that may have been passed on through blood, exposure to some cosmic force, or through an otherworldly influence. Sorcery cannot be learned or studied. It is a force that chooses the wielder rather than the other way around. Magic infuses the sorcerer, giving them latent abilities and incredible power, but with no immediate understanding of how to use it effectively and safely. Some sorcerers are almost at the mercy of their talent, with raw power roiling inside of them, releasing almost at random and manifesting in unexpected ways. It may be that the sorcerer holds vestiges of a draconic bloodline coursing through their veins, or they seem to be a conduit for raw wild magic. Sorcerers and the power they have can be chaotic and unpredictable. Some draconic bloodlines create just one sorcerer in a generation, whilst others may produce several, or even every member of a bloodline could be a sorcerer. Others who may not even have draconic heritage can appear as flukes of random chance, and yet others may attribute their sorcery to an event in their lives, such as being touched by a demon, sipping water from a magical spring, or being blessed at birth by a dryad. The gift of magic may be conferred upon the individual by a god, or by exposure to the elemental planes of existence, or even by the insanity-inducing chaos of limbo. Sorcerers have no need for spellbooks or grimoires like wizards, and have no otherworldly patron like warlocks, but need to learn and harness their power mainly through trial and sometimes painful error. The power in a sorcerer may seem to champ at the bit, urging the sorcerer for release like a full bladder. The magic wishes to be used and utilised, and can sometimes overflow and spill out in unpredictable ways if it is not brought forth consciously. Sorcerers often heed the call to adventure as a way to both unleash their inner magical power and as a way to learn and harness and control it better. Of course, loot never goes amiss either. Some adventuring sorcerers may quest as a way to better understand their gift, or simply find out the answer to where it came from. Many adventuring parties benefit greatly from a sorcerer in their ranks, gaining flexibility and adaptability from the sorcerer's abilities that they may not get from other casters. When creating a sorcerer, think firstly about the source of your power. Generally, you will choose either to have a draconic bloodline or else be a conduit for wild magic, but the exact source of your powers are for you to decide. It could be a familial trait with distant ancestors occasionally appearing before you in spectral form to advise and guide you on your journey. Or it may have been due to some extraordinary event, which left you blessed with inherent power but cursed without the knowledge or even wisdom of how to manage it. Perhaps the event also left you scarred, leaving a permanent reminder of your torment etched into your flesh. Maybe a creature of extraordinary power bestowed your sorcerer's gift on you, for reasons you might not even understand. Remember, your character not knowing where their power comes from is a valid choice as well. How does your character feel about this power? Do they revel in its chaotic unpredictability or do they shrink from using it for fear of causing harm to others or themselves? Was it something they sought out or was it thrust upon them? Was there an option of refusing the power when it was given and does your character wish they'd taken the blue pill, so to speak? Perhaps you wield the magics with an iron fist, 
believing that might makes right. The primary stats for a sorcerer are charisma followed by constitution. For a quick build, also choose the hermit background which is covered in episode 9. Then choose prestidigitation, shocking grasp, ray of frost and light cantrips and the first level spells magic missile and shield. Next, choose either the Draconic Bloodline or Wild Magic Sorceress Origin. The Draconic Bloodline confers a hereditary innate magical ability on you, unless you are the first of your bloodline, in which case it will pass on to your descendants. At first level, you choose a type of dragon as your ancestor, and you will use the damage type of the dragon you choose in features you gain at later levels. You can speak, read and write Draconic. Also, you can double your proficiency bonus if you make a charisma check while interacting with a dragon. Your HP max increases by 1 due to your draconic resilience and increases by 1 each time you level up. Parts of your skin have a thin sheen of scales too, which gives you an AC of 13 plus your dexterity modifier while you're not wearing armour. Later levels bring more draconic features, including the ability to sprout wings from level 14. The wild magic origin means that your magic comes from the forces of chaos. You may have been exposed to wild magic from the elemental planes or limbo most commonly, but also the far realm. Or instead you might have been marked by a demon or blessed by a fae. Some wild magic sorcerers have no apparent cause or origin for their power. From first level, your spellcasting unleashes surges of raw, untamed magic. Once per turn, the DM can ask you to roll a d20 immediately after you cast a sorcerer spell of first level or higher. A roll of 1 means you must roll for a wild magic effect from the table on page 103 of the player's handbook. If the effect is also a spell, it cannot be affected by your metamagic being too wild. It does not require concentration, even if it normally would, and lasts for its entire duration. More on metamagic in a moment. The Tides of Chaos effect means you can have advantage on one attack roll, saving throw, or ability check between long rests. When you have used this feature and have not had a long rest to regain it, the DM can ask you to roll on the Wild Magic Surge table when casting sorcerer's spells as before. Later levels bring abilities to affect other creatures' attack rolls, ability checks or saving throws, adding bonuses or penalties to them, greater control over wild magic surge, and extra damage to your spells. Xanatha's Guide to Everything adds in origins of Divine Soul, where you have been blessed by a god, shadow magic involving magic stemming from the Shadowfell itself, or storm sorcery with powers of elemental air. The Sword Coast's Adventurer's Guide adds more information on Storm Sorcery. Moving on now from Origins, the first sorcerer mechanic you will come across is Font of Magic. This allows you to tap into the power within you and is represented by Sorcery Points, which allow you to create various magical effects. You start with two Sorcery Points and gain more as you level. You regain Sorcery Points after a long rest. You can use sorcery points to gain additional spell slots as a bonus action on your turn and new ways to use them will be learned at later levels. An additional first level spell slot costs 2 sorcery points. A second level slot costs 3, a third level slot costs 5 and so on. 
You can also expend a spell slot as a bonus action on your turn, gaining a number of SP back equal to the slot's level. So a level 1 slot would give back 2 sorcery points. At 3rd level, you get meta magic, giving you the ability to change your spells to better suit your situation. You can only use one meta magic option on a spell cast, unless told otherwise. At 3rd level, you get to choose two meta magic options from the list of Careful spell you are able to protect some creatures from the effects of a spell you cast that requires a saving throw. You can spend one sorcery point and choose a number of creatures from a minimum of one up to equal the number of your charisma modifier. Creatures chosen automatically succeed on their saving throw. This is a great way to protect your party members from the full force of your spell while still hitting enemies. This is particularly useful in situations with enclosed spaces, for example. Distance Spell. When you cast a spell that has a range of 5 feet or greater, you can spend 1 SP to double the range of the spell. If the spell has a range of touch, you can use this option to increase the range to 30 feet, also expending 1 SP to do so. Empowered Spell. When you successfully hit with a spell and roll damage, you can spend 1 SP to re-roll a number of damage dice up to the number of your Charisma modifier. You must use the new rolls, but this option may be used in conjunction with another option used during the casting phase, such as Careful Spell. Extend Spell. For spells with a duration of 1 minute or longer, you can spend 1 SP to double the duration, up to a maximum of 24 hours. Heightened Spell. When you cast a spell that requires a saving throw, you can spend 3 SP to force disadvantage on one creature's first saving throw. Quickened Spell. When you cast a spell that has a casting time of one action, you can spend 2 SP to change it to a bonus action instead. Subtle Spell. When you cast any spell, you can spend 1 SP to cast it without verbal or somatic components. Twinned Spell. When you cast a spell that only allows one target and doesn't have a range of self, you can spend a number of SP equal to the spell's level to target a second creature in range with the same spell. This costs 1 SP if the spell is a cantrip. The spell must not be able to target multiple creatures already at its current level, so Magic Missile is not eligible, but Ray of Frost is, for example. Stat block. For a sorcerer, your hit points at first level is 6 plus your constitution modifier. Your hit points at later levels is 1d6 or 4 plus your constitution modifier per level. Your hit dice is 1d6 per level. Your spell attack modifier is your charisma modifier plus your proficiency bonus. And your spell save DC is 8 plus your charisma modifier plus your proficiency bonus. Charisma is your spell casting ability and is also used for any spell save DC. You can also use a spell casting focus if you wish. Your proficiencies are armour, none, weapons, daggers, darts, slings, quarterstaves and light crossbows, tools, none, saving throws are constitution and charisma, and skills you can choose two from arcana, deception, insight, intimidation, persuasion and religion. Equipment is a light crossbow and 20 bolts or any simple weapon, a component pouch or an arcane focus, a Dungeoneer's pack or an Explorer's pack, and two daggers.
Background check. Entertainer. The obvious choice for bards, the entertainer background can be useful for all sorts of character builds. Performance is an often overlooked skill in D&D, and yet can come in handy when creating a distraction, inspiring others, or just as a way to get free lodgings, food, or just some extra spare cash. As an entertainer, you know how to captivate and enthrall. Your antics capture the attention of people, from an audience of one to large marketplace crowds in busy cities. You can sway an audience to tears with heart-wrenching tales, elicit instant laughter with your sparkling and rapier wit, or make them wistful for vistas they've never seen with impassioned recitations of epic poems. You can command a room of nobles, telling astonishing and lurid tales of the common folk. Or you can have a tavern full of workers on their feet dancing and clapping along to songs that you wrote that mock the nobility. Typically, entertainers are particularly charismatic, persuasive and flamboyant people, easily able to capture and hold attention with storytelling, dance, musicianship, comedy or other performance art. Entertainers get the feature by popular demand, which means you can always find a place to perform, be it tavern, circus, noble's court or theatre. You also get free lodging there and food to a modest or comfortable degree, all in return for your performance each night. This also makes you a local attraction and locals are of a friendly disposition to you. Stat block. Skill proficiencies. Acrobatics and performance. Tool proficiencies, disguise kit and one type of musical instrument. Equipment. A musical instrument of choice. The favour of an admirer, some trinket, lock of hair or love letter. A costume and a pouch containing 15 gold pieces. Variant. Gladiator. Gladiators are also classed as entertainers, however their artistry tends towards the martial. Fighting and performance go hand in hand to you. You may also have some training in tumbling or acting. With this variant, your bi-popular demand feature allows you to find somewhere to show off your skills, such as a gladiatorial arena, secret fight club, or even working as local muscle. You can also substitute your musical weapon for musical weapon, musical instrument for an unusual weapon, such as a trident or net. Monster Menagerie. The Jackalware. Surprisingly, the only J letter monster in the whole of the 5th edition monster manual, this episode focuses on the Jackalware. Jackalwares are, like their name suggests, jackals that have been tainted by demonic power, making them into humanoid jackals that look like a furry, if nude, Anubis. Originally created by the demon lord Grazd to serve his own devoted servants, he reached up from the abyss and gifted jackals with the ability to speak and assume humanoid forms. In fact, the jackalware has three main forms that it can shift between. Its true form that resembles a normal jackal, a gaunt and wretched human form which is used to lure do-gooders in as they beg for succour, and a hybrid humanoid jackal form which is its main form for attacking. Jackalwares lurk near roads and trails in order to capture and or kill travellers. Those that are captured are delivered to the Jackalwares' lamia masters who enslave them or torture and kill them for their own amusement. 
the jackal wears gaze has magical properties that can render a foe unconscious, allowing for easy capture, or if facing a fearsome enemy, the jackal wear might magically put them to sleep and make good its escape. Cowardly creatures, jackal wares prefer to fight alongside other jackal wares or actual jackals, who serve as fierce and loyal companions. Stat block. Jackalwares have an AC of 12, 18 or 48 hit points, and a speed of 40 feet. Skills, they have Deception plus 4, Perception plus 2, Passive Perception of 12, and Stealth plus 4. They have damage immunities to bludgeoning, piercing, and slashing from non-magical attacks not made with silvered weapons. Languages are common and they have a challenge rating of one half, giving 100 XP. Jackalwares have advantage on wisdom perception checks that rely on hearing or smell. And they also have the feature Pack Tactics, which gives them advantage on attack rolls if at least one Jackalware ally is within five feet of the creature and isn't incapacitated. Their actions are Bite, which is Jackal or hybrid forms only. It's Melee, plus four to hit, five foot reach, one target, and a hit is 1d4 plus two or four piercing damage. Scimitar, which is human or hybrid forms only. Melee, plus four to hit, reach five feet, one target, and a hit is 1d6 plus two or five slashing damage. And Sleep Gaze, which targets one creature the jackalware can see within 30 feet. The target must make a DC 10 wisdom saving throw. If they fail, they are unconscious for 10 minutes or until someone shakes them awake using an action. If they save, the target is immune to the gaze for 24 hours. Undead and creatures immune to being charmed, such as elves, are unaffected. Law Academy Volathamp Gadam Being as how I mentioned Volo's Guide to Monsters being the next likely sourcebook purchase, I thought, why don't we learn a little more about the character that the book is named for? Who is Volo, and why do you need to know about him? Originally created by Jeff Grubb, Volothamp Gadam is one of the two most long-lasting characters in the Forgotten Realms, the other being Elminster, who I covered in episode 6. Volo was envisaged as a legendary traveller and storyteller, something between an adventurer and travel writer, and became famous after the publication of his first notable guidebook, Volo's Guide to All Things Magical. Although some of his information may be inaccurate, apocryphal, or just plain wrong, he is still seen as the go-to person for information about the realms due to his overabundance of curiosity a trait which has nearly seen his demise on any number of occasions. A minor wizard, Volo is not without defences should the need arise, and has even had one spell's creation attributed to him called Volo's Snatch, which allows the caster to pick up small objects and fly them over to the caster's hand. But Volo prefers diplomacy and settling disputes verbally when possible. He is always on the lookout for new things to write about and believes in the dissemination of information as freely as possible, the price of his books notwithstanding, of course. This has put him at odds with Elminster on a number of occasions, as Elminster believes that some information should be held secret between those who can use it with wisdom, or in some cases, not use it at all. 
Elminster also acts as editor for all of Volo's guidebooks, scribbling footnotes and addenda in the margins. Ed Greenwood of Elminster fame authored several guidebooks under the Volo moniker and writing from the travelling scholar-slash-wizard's perspective. Volo has written guides on various places, including the cities of Baldur's Gate and Waterdeep, the nation of Cormyr, the Sword Coast, the Dale Lands and more, as well as penning others on monsters and, as previously mentioned, magical spells, items and effects. Volo has appeared in both Baldur's Gate and Baldur's Gate 2 Throne of Baal, both times in taverns, which he often frequents on his journeys, and the printed manuals for the games contain annotations written by both Volo and Elminster. He was also a major character in Neverwinter Nights 2, acting as both narrator and featuring prominently in the plot of the game. The game actually appears as if it's one of Volo's guides. He's due to appear in the upcoming title, Baldur's Gate 3. His next work is rumoured to be Volo's Guide to Spirits and Spectres, and the tales in there will be as worth reading as the information on spirits themselves. And that's it for today's episode and this season. Thanks very much for listening. I'll be taking at least a month's break from this show before beginning season two, so keep a watch out for updates. In the meantime, I'll be working on my other podcast, Stories of Strangeness, which I co-host with my wife. That's about unexplained mysteries, conspiracies, cryptids, hauntings and the paranormal. So if you miss the dulcet tones of my voice or are interested in any of those topics, give us a listen. Apologies if you've heard a few thumps in the background. I have upstairs neighbours that have small children who like to run around at all times of day and night, making it difficult for me to actually pick a time to record this. Anyway, if you'd like to get in touch, I'd love to hear your thoughts about the show so far. What have you enjoyed? What would you change? And how? You can email me your questions or thoughts to icastpod at gmail.com or find me on Twitter or Instagram as at icastpod. I create all the content you see and hear on the show and social media. If you'd like to help support the show and ensure that I come back for season two, which I will be doing, don't worry, there are ways to do that. Firstly, subscribe to the show. Secondly, leave us a review on iTunes if you're a user. Reviews there really help the show get heard by new fans. Lastly, tell your friends, tell your DM, tell your D&D group or other D&D fans you know about the show. Thanks in advance. Until next season, my friends, may Timora bless your endeavours.